Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible. Please visit audiblepodcast.com slash better for your free audiobook download. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. I, I almost messed up that intro today. I don't know what's with me. Uh, it's been an or- unorthodox uh, way to intro- introduce the podcast. It is, and it's also been a crazy week for us. Um, so we're talking about Season 5, Episode 13. Sorry, no, that's Walking Dead. Yes. We're talking about Season 1, <laughs> Episode 6, entitled 5 uh, This was originally supposed to be the fifth episode really yeah i was listening to the insider podcast and they had a lot of good stuff on this one um supposed to be the fifth episode they decided you know it doesn't make sense with the way we kind of have it blocked for episode six um with that that look at the end of episode the last episode wouldn't have really worked at the end of that one Mm -hmm. um given the timeline and stuff i totally agree i i i mean however they lucked into the placement this felt natural i'm super surprised to hear that it wasn't that way from the beginning. Yeah, I can't imagine going to a Mike-centric episode without the end of last episode. Yeah. It would have felt very abrupt and jarring. Right. Uh, so g- good to know that, you know, they're thinking about that stuff. And uh, yeah, what do you think of the this episode, Five O? I wonder uh, if that's where the name comes from. Five O. I mean, obviously uh, that's for cops, but at the same time, it could have been the fifth episode. Yeah, the name game. We yeah. didn't really play the Alpine... Shepherd Boy. I guess there was a maybe there's a straightforward a, one, but there's a little bit of uh, Easter eggy stuff on that. Mm. I don't know. Um, so, what did I think of this episode? This episode was unlike any episode that came before. Yep. Uh, not just because it was a, a Mike Demantrad episode, but <laughs> it was a very serious, almost zero comedy, other than Jimmy coming in and doing some of his Jimmy shtick. Yeah, it was very, very intense, and it played with time quite a bit into to like if i had just watched this one show one time and didn't rewind through some of the conversation i think i would have been a little bit lost in in what all was going on at the time i don't think it matters because the story they're telling was fairly straightforward yeah um and i was also confused by um kaylee is that his granddaughter's name uh-huh. her she seems like she is the bart simpson slash uh, Maggie Simpson, like she just doesn't age mm-hmm. because she looked like she was six or seven years old in this episode, and seven years later in Breaking Bad timeline or however many years it is, she still looks like she's that age, and she's playing hungry, hungry hippos and coloring rainbow drawings and all that stuff. Yeah, and yeah, so I like I was expecting to see Kaylee as like a toddler, mm-hmm. so it was a jarring to see her as essentially the same person. What did you think? Yeah, I really liked this episode. I thought. It was obviously very, very different from the previous episode with the previous one being, you know, mostly comedy, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Uh, This one has very little of it. Uh, I agree with that. I thought the acting all around was stellar Um, from the cops to to Mike to Stacy. Everybody was really great in this. Mm -hmm. Um, I like this episode a lot, though I'm... It was a little heavy, a little heavy for me. Hmm. Like, I I get they're going to go there. Um, I was just surprised off the back of last episode that they went there so yeah, quickly and so deeply. 
we were just talking how this this show seems to have caught its stride as being more of a comedy. Uh-huh. And then they throw us this curveball, which shows that this show's got a lot of versatility. And I think they tried to mix the dram- dramatic and comedy elements in the first two episodes and it didn't work as well. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is the blueprint going forward. They just split it off into like... Uh, you know how uh, X-Files had Monster of the Week versus the Mythos? Maybe yeah. the Mythos episodes where you get the backstories of the, the, the Gusses and the Mikes and mm-hmm. uh, the Sauls of the world, you can get a little somber. And then when you've got your you know your weekly comedic caper plot lines with twins and nachos and kettlemans and all that stuff, then you can mix in a little bit of the humor. But Yeah, uh, I guess. It was, it was just surprising. No, yeah. It wasn't I, bad. It was surprising. I totally agree. Yeah. How do you think Mike, uh, or Jonathan Banks, rather, uh, Emmy chances look after this episode? You know, I hadn't thought about it. He's already won one for I... his work in the final season of Breaking Bad, which I think handicaps him because, first of all, Emmy's is bullshit. <laughs> Emmy's is straight up bullshit. It's mostly a popularity and lazy voter contest. Uh-huh. Uh, and so just like the MVP races, they, they hesitate to give somebody... You know, uh, but the one thing is like this is a spinoff, which might also hurt it. And but hmm. the positive is, as we know, the Emmy process goes; it's a single episode submission. This works perfect. Yeah, this like is all if you're all the time. a 79 year old Emmy judge uh, <laughs> on the panel and you never heard of Better Call Saul, you look at this and you're like, oh, this is a really serious quality piece of work, and this guy is really crushing it. Huh. Whereas some of that stuff, and you know, we've talked about like John Hamm. It's you watch the episode where he comes clean for the Hershey execs and it just doesn't land. It doesn't land. Not as a single episode. No, no. I mean, it's an incredible piece of work and you kind yeah. of get that. But, you know, it's like seeing some of the actors workshop where someone just does a scene. It's like, OK, that's good. But it got no context. Yeah, so I don't I, know. I don't know. I mean, he, he's got a shot. I was surprised to see how dynamic Jonathan Banks can be. We've only ever seen him really in this kind of monotone uh you know, dry old man sort of deal. In this episode, he gets very angry. Oh, yeah. Uh, he he gets very emotional. That's something we're not used to seeing from Mike. Sure. So I, I was surprised at how well he pulled that off. I, I mean, Jonathan Banks, I haven't seen him in anything else. I know he's been an actor for years and years and years. Right. But so he does I'm a sure lot of this, this kind of, you know, tough guy slash father slash stuff like that role. So it's like, I don't... Yeah. It's kind of like uh, a Dean Norris. Mm-hmm these guys you know are probably all capable like most just oh, yeah. work a day actors are capable of acting they just are so rarely given a chance to do it oh yeah no uh dean norris is fantastic and under sure. the dome like i oh okay i, I watched that show didn't like the show the the acting though from dean norris was great anyway why don't we talk about who made this episode yeah i'll go with uh uh, shane bowman who created a thread for this week because i was in the thralls of a downton abbey marathon with my lady and i spaced it <laughs> uh he uh, s- said that it's directed by adam bernstein and written by gordon smith bernstein you'll recall uh as shane puts it as a vip member of the villa gang, villa gang directing eight episodes of breaking bad the second most of any actor director after michelle mclaren he's also mar- married to jessica hecht hecht oh yeah uh, who's Gre- uh, gretchen source we mentioned that one or two i think it's starting to finally sink in as trivia yeah. Uh, this episode is written by Gordon Smith, who's a writer's assistant and researcher for Breaking Bad season five. So, okay. yeah, they had a lot of good stuff with the writer. Got the um, Billigan stink all over this episode. 
Yeah, I guess so. All right, why don't we get into the recap, yeah? Let's do it. Okay, we start off with Mike. Actually, we start off with a fairly cool shot of a train going down a track. Uh, we are kind of attached to the front of the train. We're going down the track, and it pulls into the station. Uh, and we see that Mike gets off of it and meets a woman who uh, gave him the stink eye last episode. I'm not using her name yet because we don't know it. Uh, he buys a maxi pad to bandage a gunshot wound on his shoulder when he goes inside. Sure. And that's that first scene. Did you know that this very first shot of the train going down the track is stock footage? That is nope. not shot original for Breaking Bad. Well, so I actually was wondering because it looked like a steam engine. Uh-huh. Uh, modern trains don't look like that. Like I, I think, and actually I would not be surprised if you told me that there was two different stock footages welded together because yeah, yeah. the, when they show the undercarriage of like the, you know, it pulling into the station, that's mm. a fucking steam engine as far as I can tell. Well, they wanted a very Western feel for it. Well, that is what I gather. And I kind of thought like, okay, well that's what he's doing. Yeah. And then, but when they got to wide angle, it looked like a more modern engine. So mm. I, I thought that maybe I, I was wondering about that. Yeah. Stock footage. Uh, uh did you, I I thought it's in pretty good how this show does a lot of the whole show don't tell thing and they they kind of present us with this awkward energy between yes Mike and his daughter-in-law we find out and mm-hmm. we don't really know what all that is about it but after the significant looks of last episode we're like oh yeah what's yeah. going on she's already got the shifty eyes around him and uh this is so this is before she has confronted him about any of the stuff with Matt Yes. Like, hey, what about this phone call? That kind of stuff. And that's the key to understanding the time jumps is if you look all of the flashbacks from the the present day, which is itself a flashback from real present day, (laughs) the the Silver Age to the Bronze Age, uh, Uh, it's all very desaturated. Yeah, it's a a, they use a process called uh, bleach bypass, which means they don't actually use bleach in the process they use to develop the film. Hmm. Although now it's all done digitally, so they kind of fake that process you think the bleach bypass would make the color be more preserved i just i i associate bleaching with something having the color leached out of it yeah i i don't know why but it mutes all the colors um Mm. i'm not familiar with the process myself it's just what i heard them talking about on the podcast i wonder if it's like the opposite it's the bleach is like bypass means you actually run it through a bleach solution to desaturate a little bit could be but anyway, uh, that's the key to understanding where the hell you are. Because if it's, everything's bright and sunny and Breaking Bad looking, uh-huh. then you're in present day, which is the middle day. Yeah. 2002, if you're desaturated, you're nine months or six months or three months in the past. Yes. <laughs> uh, one question I have is still outstanding after watching this episode. Why did Stacy wait three months to call the cops on Mike? So... She says in the episode that she found the money while they were moving, I think. Yeah, which, which was six months. Which, six months uh, prior to present day, or three months after Maddie gets killed. Yep, and then she he, moves to ABQ. He moves that three months after that. Yeah. So So she apparently, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe she called and there was a big delay between the time. Because we had talked about that last episode, like, oh, these cops from Philly just show up here. Huh. That seems a little too convenient. Well, then that's the other thing is like I don't understand the the mean mugging, the mad dogging that went on because it didn't seem like. I mean, yeah, I guess the relationship well, has suspects. been strained. Uh huh. That she doesn't suspect Th- that he was on the phone with Maddie okay. the night 
like before he was killed. And... Yeah, and he stonewalls her in that strange relationship. But has he really stayed away from his granddaughter this whole time? It is seems he like, like checking it, once I, a week to see if she's going to thaw out or I wonder if maybe she moved to Albuquerque. We don't know why she moved to Albuquerque, but mm. she might have moved to get away from Mike because Mike was like he says at the bottom of a bottle. Sure. For a good 6 months. Yeah, I get that. I mean, I so, think there's got to be something else here like family or something because why else would you just pack up yeah. and move away from everything? But we don't know enough about I sure. just again, I I'm a little little muddy and and the way they you know, the way they end this episode, you're not really sure whether Stacy's going to be cool with Mike. Yes. Which we'll Although talk I think there are hints there. Okay. I'll, I'll get I, into those. Uh, interesting. What'd you make of Mike's tank top? <laughs> what the fuck is up with tank top undershirts? Yeah. Can what someone... is the purpose of a tank top undershirt? The only reason I wear undershirts is to deal with the occasional pit sweat. Exactly. So if anything, if I was going to try to reduce that, I would have like, you know, the undershirt holster, uh-huh. the shoulder holster. Yep. I'd have that only packed with like some kind of maxi pad <laughs> material to shield. Like I don't. It it's, it's it seems to avoid every area that gets sweaty, the chest hair area, mm-hmm. the armpit area, and it's going to cover your nipples and your navel, yep. which I don't have a big problem with sweating on my nips or my navel. It, no, no, not at all. I I don't I don't get it, man. Those I get it if shirts. you're wearing it if, if you're wearing it to show off your guns or it's like a part of a look, but as a just an old man undershirt, I do not get it. <laughs> if you're in one of the Grand Theft Auto games, fine. <laughs> yeah. Wear if a you're tank shooting top a rap video. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh that is acceptable. Or, or if you live in a trailer park. If you then live in a tra- you can get away with that stuff. Of, of course, of course. But Preferably I don't, I don't with know. track pants. I, that's that's a very italian thing too like a lot of italian men wear these tank top undershirts and that's kind of my culture and heritage i, was gonna say, I thought you were gonna i was like uh a man trout no is no not no an no. italian name no 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 personally for me it's something that has always confused me oh, okay about the heritage of my people i'm like why why would you do this <laughs> i get the spaghetti i get the pasta come on with need, the tank tops uh, you need to go to jersey and investigate do a documentary i guess, so. I guess do a documentary so. on your people a tank top undershirt documentary it's a good one. Kickstarter tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> all right. So Stacy, uh, whose name we find out here, mm-hmm. and we also find out that he, she is Mike's daughter-in-law, thinks that her husband, Matt, had this heated conversation with Mike on the phone just days before he died. Uh, Mike, in spectacular fashion, in spectacular which, which, Mike Which capped fashion. off a long, like a several weeks of him acting different and being moody and pissy, yes. even more so than your stereotypical cop i don't want to talk about it kind of behavior yeah so she confronts mike here in this next scene and he denies it tells her you know we need to move on he's done forget about it uh and then he gets in a taxi and asks the driver how well he knows the town so i like this scene a lot uh, honestly if i'm sitting there in front of mike i kind of believe the guy like he's got she did a demeanor not, i don't i don't think she does no because no, she said oh well i guess that's that then yeah and clearly her whole demeanor changed, and she was freezing him out. Yeah, I would, I would buy it though. Yeah, well, you know, it's just Mike being Mike. You don't understand why he wears tank tops. How True. could you possibly understand the mind of the man trout? <laughs> I do not in any way. Um, so we know that this is right after the shooting because he's still bleeding through his shirt. Here. Sure. Um, and so we also got to be less explicitly. Than days. We know the day after he commits the murder, he gets mm-hmm. on the train to Albuquerque. This must be the same day. Yeah. Well, I don't know how long it takes to get from Philly to Albuquerque by train. Yeah, I think it's got to be the same day he gets off that train because his wound is still bleeding. Yeah, but he could be bleeding shirts, for a day and a half his, through maxi pads. It's like 
It's not just trickling a little tiny bit of blood. No, I, I get it. I, I get it. I just don't know how long it takes to get from train from Philly to, like, even if you boarded at the 5 o'clock red eye, like, I don't even get out there by the afternoon. I'm, I thought yeah. it would be a day and a half, and he's just bleeding on the train. Yeah, probably. It's uh, a, a not as popular musical as Singing in the Rain. <laughs> I would love all. to see Jonathan Banks do, I'm bleeding on the train. <laughs> <laughs> uh well to take care of that he goes to a veterinarian and the vet offers him some uh he first of all he sews up his wound he offers him some under the table work and he leaves with a handful of what is essentially vicodin <laughs> yeah it's Animal dog vicodin, vicodin. Uh-huh. it's dicodin <laughs> it's in the like shape that. of milk bones it has a beef <laughs> flavor the man trout's crave yep uh so good scene here i, I like that Mike is trying to resist getting into the underworld, and we know that Mike eventually ends up there. I feel like this doctor will meet again. I think so. And that's cool. I like seeing the, uh, you know, we we get the sleazy side of Albuquerque through Saul, Mm -hmm. but we get the uh, seedy side of Albuquerque through Mike. Yeah. And I'm, I'm digging that. So we go back to present day. Mike is being interrogated, but we'll only say one word. Lawyer. <laughs> they ask uh, what lawyer he wants, and Mike just slides him Jimmy's card. Yeah. So we know that this is after all the stuff that has taken place in the previous episodes. Sure. They got him downtown. Yep. Um, so Jimmy comes in. He he shows up at the police precinct, and he sees Mike. He he. Mike tells him, hey, I got this plan. I want you to spill coffee on this guy. And Jimmy's like, no way. No mm. way am I going to aid and abet you here. Um. But then he ends up doing it after Mike is interrogated. Sure. There are a couple of choice lines in these scenes. I mean, as there always is with Saul dialogue. Uh, Jimmy dialogue, rather. He <laughs> Cops come in and say, you look like Matlock. He's like, no, I look like a young Paul Newman dressed as Matlock. I young, don't think he looks anything like Paul Newman. Young, young or Paul old. Paul New- Newman uh, gives me an idea for soundtrack for season two. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so Mike's interrogated again. This time, Jimmy's in the room. And they tell the story of they t- they catch Jimmy up on Hoffman and Finsky and we'll by ca- extension the audience. Yes, uh, Jimmy spills the coffee on the cop and Mike grabs his notebook. Mm-hmm. So Mike's talking this time. Sure, uh, he's got his lawyer present. Why wouldn't he? Well, obviously Mike's plan here from the beginning with getting Jimmy in the room is to to execute on getting the notepad. Yeah. Sure. So, like, I whether he's in the room or not, uh, Mike has always struck me. And th- there's a scene where you know he's talking with Hank and Gomez in Breaking Bad. He very much knows how to control the situation in an interrogation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think he's afraid of these these guys. I think he just needs Jimmy in the room to get that notepad. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of questions at this point in the episode. I was like, oh man, is is Mike the guy? Did Mike kill his son for some reason? Well, that's the thing. Did- like. Most of the time I roll in watching the first episode, I don't sweat these details too much, like when they start talking names and dates and stuff, because like yeah. normally they don't rely on you getting in one scene and they'll tell you. And I feel like that for for understanding the plot, it's not important, but if you really want to understand the timeline and when these things are happening, this scene was very pivotal. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that was made clear when Mike is flipping through that notebook. But then again, it's like, you know, we're the type of people that would pause. But I don't think that, like, the Villigan counts on people to do that. 
So if yeah. I'm judging this from like an everyman type of episode, I felt like that they were just on the verge of maybe leaving people behind and confusing them with when things Definitely. were happening and why things were happening and again when things were happening yeah no they talk about that in the insider cast which you should definitely go listen to if you're interested in this uh they said you know part of that the reason that they did the bleach bypass process was to let you know where we are in time they needed every bit of help that they could i and yes i kind of wondered why they just didn't go with title cards they considered that i think that would have been the better way to go like a, that doesn't a, feel very a, Breaking Bad to me, honestly. I, I get it, I get it, but a lot of this doesn't feel very Breaking Bad, and That's I true. think a uh, you know March two thousand two, you know May two thousand two, that would have gone a long way to uh, to informing us because there's it would two have. different time jumps that all use the same bleach bypass thing. Yeah. So again, it's not a big thing because the what you need to know about Mike and the show going forward, you understand. But yep. I think that there is a little bit of viewer satisfaction when you kind of are less grasping. And also, on the Insider cast, did they talk about casting Kaylee? Because that does seem like a boner. They they did a little bit, yeah. Like, like uh, Kaylee mm-hmm. is apparently a 13-year-old girl who still likes playing Hungry Hippos in Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, they talked about how they couldn't get the same actress because obviously she's older now, uh, and this is supposed to take place before that. But you're right, it, they didn't go back far enough. Not nearly. Yeah. Not nearly. Um, Why is this room so dark? Because uh, it looks fucking awesome. <laughs> you're talking about the interrogation yes, room? Yeah. Oh, no, I, I actually wrote in my notes how awesome I thought the lighting was. It looks fantastic on film, but it's come like, on. There's no interrogation room that dark. They want the lights on so they can see your reactions, so they can see things that are going on. Plus, they, the, the two-way mirror works a lot better when you got a bright light in a dark room, exactly. not the other way. I mean, this is like two weir- two-way mirror in reverse. Yeah. But it looks it looks the tits. <laughs> You're it right, looks it awesome. does. It does. So Jimmy and Mike go out to Jimmy's car, and they talk about kind of what went on there in that interrogation room. He's like, oh, how'd you know that I was going to spill the coffee on this guy? Mike laughs at him. Yeah, why did he laugh at him? I th- I think that Mike understands Saul in a way that maybe Saul doesn't understand Saul. Sorry, Mike understands Jimmy in a way that Jimmy doesn't understand Jimmy. Mm. J- Jimmy doesn't get that kind of influence that Mike put on him. Yeah. Cuz cuz they were talking in the instant cast or the insider cast um about what Mike is doing in that room and the, the looks that Jimmy is giving him sure. in the interrogation room. And Jimmy is kind of sympathizing with Jimmy Mike. flipped the script the second he found out it was his son killed. And I think he exactly. started putting two and two together about what's going on. And I think Mike knew that was going to likely be the case. It's like, you know, when someone asks you to explain to them why you think what they said was funny, it's like... It, you know, I don't I, really know, but it was. Yeah, I feel like that's what Mike is saying. Is like, look, if you don't know you're a good guy, yeah, you know, or at least my kind of good guy, mm-hmm. then nothing I can say. Like, how do you explain concepts like honor and integrity and you know the, that kind of thing? You can't if you try to explain it. It just you either got it or you don't. But you can certainly exploit it, and that's what Mike Cert- did. Yeah, dude. sure, sure. Uh, but I don't well, think that to be fair, Saul did owe him one. Jimmy yeah. owed him on. Sure. Uh, I, I don't think that Jimmy and Mike are fast friends here. Oh, I, I think but, but they Mike helps each other him. out a little. Yes. And or I think does he, he did... respect him. He, 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 can't, 
he counted on him, him to do what he wanted him to do. But I think when you combine that with the previous episode where, you know, so Jimmy kind of unravels the case with the Kettlemans, I think Mike does respect him a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, respect might go a little too far, but he doesn't Maybe. think he's a complete... Like, I feel like a guy like uh, Mike divides the world into dumbasses and not dumbasses yeah. and 95% of the people are dumbasses. Yeah. So Saul has w- wiggled his way into the 5%. Yeah. And maybe ask, there's a top 1% where he reserves for like the Gus Frings of the world where you got my respect. Yes. Yes. Uh if you and ask, his son. If, and, if you ask Mike is Jimmy a dumbass, he goes <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the response you get. You get is a grim laugh. Uh uh, so Mike then takes the notepad home, and he was looking through it, uh, and he sees something he doesn't like, and he calls up Stacy and goes over there to ask why she called the cops on him, mm-hmm. and then she says it's because she found money in the lining of a suitcase, and, you know, she's all worried about Matt being dirty, and then Mike gets very angry about that and says, my son was not dirty, mm-hmm. but he does admit to being on the phone with him that night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's Kaylee thinking in her bedroom? Grandpa's swearing and damning her mother and talking about her father being dirty. Why doesn't he take a bath? <laughs> Plus, I thought he was gone anyway. I don't understand these things. I'm 13 years old. <laughs> Seven going on 13. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a really good scene. This is the part where I stood up and was like, wow, wow, Mike, Mike, the man yeah. trout no, you brought gets the angry. He he, bro- I had no idea he could even get angry, but he does. I've seen him annoyed and pretty angry uh-huh. with like, but... Like, if he was with uh, six uh, at Walt right before he died, mm-hmm. he certainly got to, like, nine here. I mean, oh, yeah. he was, like, that's the thing. His son, man, is something he is incredibly defensive of throughout the entire episode. And you find out yes. why. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even know how you live with yourself uh, in my with a man like Mike and Mike's situation. Yeah, with that explanation of, you know, he broke his boy at the end. That's Yeah. Oof. And for no, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it. But, you know, well. and not only that, but for no good reason. It'd be one thing if you did it and it saved his life. Yeah. But Jesus. Yeah, it was for nothing. Uh, so here's a line from from Stacy that makes me think maybe she's going to be okay with Mike going forward after this episode because she's talking about, you know, how she wants these guys, whoever killed Maddie, to rot in jail. Uh, she doesn't care where it leads or what it uncovers. And I think that is a hint as to, you know, when Mike reveals, hey, Did she was- say jail or hell? I thought she said rotten ja- jail. I wrote in hell. You did? <laughs> uh, either one. Well, no. She'll, she'll take no, either. No. There are, like, if she's the Batman type of vigilante uh, who wants to see, you know, that doesn't believe that, you know, killing justify any, any justifies a means where kill, killing is concerned. Sure. Then she could have a more negative reaction. If she says hell, then that's a path forward because Mike got him there. It's true. So I, I guess it's a, it is kind of a, a distinction. Let's pause the podcast. We'll watch the episode again. We'll get no, right back. Let's with not you. do that. Okay. <laughs> uh, three months ago, Mike picks the lock on a police car outside a bar, and then he goes inside to drink, where he sees a couple of cops and says, uh, walks up to him, says, "I know it was you." <laughs> he uh, Fredo's him. He he does. He the rare, the rarely kiss seen him on the mouth, cinematic but... dual Fredo. Uh-huh. He tries. You just can't. <laughs> he tries the dual kiss. Yeah. He, he tries to get it, but just this facial geometry of his big melon doesn't allow the <laughs> the double lip proximity. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, I had written down Hoffman and Finsky. Obviously, sure. sure. Uh, by the end of this, we know. Uh, the bar closes. Mike leaves. 
Uh, he tells the bartender that he's going to ABQ, and then he's warned about the tarantulas. Did you ever talk about him not... doing the whole cruiser caper? No. Okay, because that happens in between here. Oh, wait, cruiser caper, like unlocking the yeah. car? Yes. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah, that... I thought that was a pretty nifty piece of craft. Uh-huh, yeah, I, I imagine it works. Like, given the geometry of the inside of that door, I bet you could do that. Yeah, it took me a while to realize what the hell he was doing, too. I yeah. was like, Because I thought he was, like, sawing through their light bar, and I'm like, is the... this... <laughs> this is kind of this is like some Blues Brothers shit I'm seeing here. What's going on? I knew he was picking the lock, he's but I didn't know how. He's going to spray glue the accelerator down to the floor, and yeah. then he's going to chain up, cut the brake, the lines. rear axle to a fire plug, <laughs> and then he's going to throw in some Beverly Hills Cop mm-hmm. and put a potato up the tailpipe yep. for good measure, banana for good measure. <laughs> These this cruiser's fucked. This is bottom line, pretty much. Yeah, uh, the guys in it are fucked because obviously in that scene, in case you didn't get it, he planted a gun. Sure. That's the reason he was opening that car. Right. Um, the bar closes. Mike leaves. Did you I, get the tarantula Easter egg? Yeah, I, okay. I like this. You're not listening to anything I'm saying. Well, I like the tarantula thing. <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, because it's a Breaking Bad callback, right? We saw a lot of tarantulas in, in Breaking Bad. Yes. And I, I think it's funny here that he's warned about the tarantulas. Sure, you got to watch out for him. Yeah. Uh, so Mike goes outside. He starts walking home. He is apparently very drunk. And the two cops who he saw at the bar pull up beside him and stuff him in the car. They take his gun. They ask him uh, what he was talking about earlier that night when he came up and was like, I know what you did. Uh, He tells him he knows they killed Maddie and he's going to prove it. Do you think that the alcoholism was a play from the start? Because it's a long con. I'm gonna make I'm gonna put the long con theory and I don't really believe in it. Okay. <laughs> but it strikes me as that Mike is not really an alcoholic. And I think Mike knew from the second he heard about what happened what really happened. Or do you think it took him three months to piece that together? Six months. Um so I'm trying to figure out because all the no, facts he must were there. have known from the beginning. That's what I'm thinking. He must have. As soon as he knew, he knew, he knew it, it. Like the way he laid it out to his daughter-in-law, it seemed like he knew from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So, in my mind, all the drinking was to essentially put these guys at ease and set up this the whole thing so he could fake being drunk, and they'd take him into custody, thinking that they could it'd be an easy mark, and then he'd drop him. Mm-hmm. It's a super long con, but that seems the kind of patient you know, revenge is a dish best served cold, then I do believe that Mike would just go and drink himself silly for six months and then dry out long enough to kill these guys and go out to Albuquerque cold turkey. Counterpoint, Stacy and Kaylee were affected by his drinking, certainly. And I don't feel like Mike would have let that happen. Was Kaylee or his daughter, because he essentially froze his daughter out and refused to talk to her and was, you know, used the alcohol as an excuse for that, which would also, you know, I obviously he wants to get away with this. He doesn't want to, you know, what does a cop fear most in life? Going to jail. Mm-hmm. So I could see him spending the time to to do that and also mm-hmm. it would give him a chance to be in the bars and really observe their patterns and and get their routines down. And I don't know. Yeah, I I didn't get I'm that feeling. I'm starting to talk myself it. into this. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily put it past the show or past Mike to do that. Or the but other, I, I was not feeling that. Alternatively, he used the bottle to keep himself from doing something stupid. Like he medicated. It's like uh, hmm. instead of just being consumed by rage and just putting a gun in these guys' 
right away he did the drinking as a way to kind of like moderate that impulse i i with the way that alcohol tears down inhibitions i don't know that that's a good idea yeah it's true i think that might have the opposite effect of what you think all right well i just want to throw that out there okay uh you mentioned that when we were watching this that this was all green screen car work yeah yeah. Best damn green screen car work I've ever seen. It's really good. Like th- they said, it was like a labor of love trying to get this green screen to look just right. I mean, Mad Men is always famously bad, mm-hmm. and Justified is also usually really bad. On the, I mean, the, the green screen car work is just kind of bad. I was stunned. They even got the reflections right, and yeah, I imagine it's hard to get background and lighting on your actors to be yeah m- to match up. And you got to get the subtle jostling of the camera in the car. I mm-hmm. mean, it might have been just easier to fucking film in the car, but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is really good green screen car technology. Sure, I'm with you. Uh, the other thing that I I felt here was Mike. Mike might have known most of the way that these guys killed his son, but I feel like this plot was kind of also a way to verify that. Because if he goes in and he says, I know what you did, you killed my son, I'm going to prove it, and they didn't, they're like, whatever, old man, get out of the car. Hmm. So there's no risk to him if they didn't. But if they did, he's got the plan in place to take it out. So he might be also just finishing off the verification process here. You know, given what Mike said later on about prison being the cop's ultimate fear, do you find it interesting that he went this route rather than getting them on record of, of plotting all this stuff out and trying to kill him. And then like he could have kneecapped them both and then had him rounded up. I mean, Mike's a kind of, I don't know. I think Mike's code of honor says that you gotta, you gotta snuff these guys out. I think so too. Even if it would be a fate worse than death to send them up the send them up uh, to the big house. Yeah. I, I think he's an eye for an eye kind of guy. I'm slipping into like thirties gangster term. Yeah. To the big house. See, <laughs> Well, you match up with the steam engine, so <laughs> perfect. Uh, well, that would be the Huskow, the pokey. <laughs> gotcha. You slide back another 60 years. Yep. Uh, the cops stop at the car wash or a warehouse or somewhere dark, pull them out of the car, and uh, de- talk for a little bit, decide they're going to kill him. But Mike has stashed a second gun in the car, and he uses that to kill both of the cops and getting shot in the shoulder a little sloppy my guy a little sloppy a little sloppy yeah um i don't know he shoots this guy obviously in the chest he's obviously wearing a vest um second guy he just shoots in the head right he's done and then that first guy gets back up and tags him in the shoulder i i was a little surprised to see he didn't go for a headshot on the first guy sure i don't know (laughs) aim for center of mass man it says how he's trained true uh mike tells stacy what happened to matt and why and we kind of get Half of the narration over him sitting in the car and walking away from the scene of the crime, uh, which I thought was really cool. And then Stacy asks, you know, what happened to Hoffman and Finsky? And he's like, you know what happened. Question is, can you live with it? Mm -hmm. I thought that was a very poignant question for a guy who committed the actual act. Uh, He has to live with that, Mm -hmm. you know, and he I I think Mike is okay living with that. given what they did to his son. Sure. I don't think that's a problem. Uh, but but this is a heartbreaking scene because of, you know, Mike's feeling that he he broke his boy and it was all for nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, he essentially turned him into himself when 
when even though his son put him up on a pedestal, he really put his son up on a pedestal. Yeah. But then he pulled him down off that pedestal right at the very end. Yeah, I had a pet theory that I talked myself out of in a second watch that maybe Mike wasn't dirty and he just said that to try to save his boy's life, which was a mm. made it double ironic, but it seemed like it was just no, he he wasn't dirty. I mean, to me there I don't know. This sounds weird with all my stance on police corruption and brutality and the drug war, but uh. like there's a difference between uh you just busted a drug dealer with 3 million dollars. I'm going to take this 10 and put it towards my college kids fund and yeah. engaging in protection rackets. I know what you mean. Like the stuff that like Herc and Carver got up to in the early goings of the wire where, you know, is like light. It's not exactly corruption. It's more They're just like heads, you know, well, not just busting heads, but like oh, okay. there's, uh, you know, there's this money, there's this cash, there's a car full of cash. Uh-huh. It's going to go into evidence locker. It's, and then it's going to be basically stolen by the state. Uh-huh. So we're state employees. We're, we're, we'll, we'll just take our cut. The problem Versus is running a protection racket where you actually are cracking skulls and selectively enforcing crime. And in that it's like or, or pulling people over on the side of the road who have cash in their car, assuming they're drug dealers. Now that's different. That. That's that's different still. That but kind you, of seizure stuff. If is... you get a guy that's pulled over and he's got automatic weapons, three million dollars and several keys of cocaine in the backseat, mm-hmm. he's probably a drug dealer. You pull over sure. an old dude crossing state lines, got 20 grand and he's got a want ad for an automobile that he's going to buy. You're yep. just stealing from an old dude and That's, you should go to hell. What I'm saying though is it's a slippery <laughs> slope, right? I get that as well. Giving them the leeway to to take that money and just turning a blind eye to it means they're going to dig deeper and deeper. You're essentially putting it up to the cops' own honor as whether they're going to be as nakedly exploitative as they can. I just yeah. feel like that Mike was probably the former. He was yes. the guy who was like going along to get along. Mm-hmm. And these other guys, the sergeant, the L and H or whatever their, their names were, uh, they were more of the actively evil. Yeah. Like there's dirty cops and there's really dirty cops. Sure. And I think Jonathan Banks was the lowercase D and they were the big D. Yeah. If if you like this story in any way, go watch The Shield. Go watch sure. The Shield today because you will love that thing. Sure. Uh, and it's got, you know, Walter Goggins in it, who's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Walton. Walton got yeah, he pulled yeah. an A-Rod. I know, fuck. Uh, now you're turning your dad, Walter. That's how he would say Walter. The other thing I really like about this scene, aside from just stellar acting from Jonathan Banks, is the way they pull out at the end of it. Mm. The They just take the camera, set it kind of almost on the floor, and just pan it back. And I felt like it cut off a little, a little too soon. Like, they mm. should have let that linger a little bit longer and kept pulling back, but... Uh, it, but it was a really nice shot at the end there. So the one thing I noticed when he leans, she leans in and asks him about the two cops, mm-hmm. she has her hand on his knee and then another hand on his shoulder, like, you know, a genuinely not, like, caring moment. And then when he says, you know what happened, the question is, can you live with it? She leans back, still hand on his knee, but takes the hand off his shoulder. Hmm. Just from a character velocity standpoint, I would say that that's trying to indicate to us that they are, you know, obviously he gets to a point where he's playing with his granddaughter and all that stuff and and Breaking Bad, but it feels like these characters are going to continue to drift apart, at least for a time. You, I think, got the opposite take. Yeah, given what she says about how she either wants him to rot in hell or jail, one of the two, 
Uh, I felt like she would be kind of okay with this. But isn't it scary that this is the guy that you're potentially putting the life of your grandchild? I mean, saying that and then finding out that this dude double murdered police officers. Yeah. There's like, I mean, there's a difference in knowing and suspecting. Sure. Certainly. So I don't know. I my my takeaway was that there there she was a little. I you know I don't think she's like up in arms about what he did, but she's frightened of this man suddenly. I, you might be right. Um, and also that he had these many secrets that he kept for her for so long. Sure. I I feel like she wanted as much justice as he did though for Matt. I agree with that. And I I don't know that she's going to necessarily blame him too much for doing what he did. Sure. That's the, just the impression I got with the overall episode. So I'm, I'm not I don't know what sure. type of person she is, though, because there's people that want justice, and justice is defined as the you know, proceedings of the sure. official justice system. And they there's want people that say, I want justice, and they go to the Godfather, and they get justice. Like, yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which type is she? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good question. It is. Uh, okay, that's it for the episode. Hey, we have a sponsor this week. Uh, it's our old friends, Audible. Uh, as you know, Jim and I are fans of their their product and service. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's always uh, the, the interesting part about it is coming up with recommendations for people, because I don't like to just talk about the service. I like to give something specific mm-hmm. that's kind of flavored for the show. And I'm thinking Better Call Saul, Lawyers, John Grisham. Okay. I know that's kind of like probably hackneyed because he's like a very famous, mm-hmm. like that's that's his bread and butter. Like he is the uh, Tom Clancy uh, he is to legal things as Tom Clancy is the military industrial complex. Um, so if you're a fan, you already know all of his works. My favorite of his books is The Rainmaker, which was later adapted into a Hollywood film featuring Matt Damon, Claire Danes, with a memorable cameo by Danny, Danny DeVito. Uh, really loved that uh, movie. I went back and later read the book, and it's really awesome. It's one of the rare books that um, I felt like the movie did it justice, but also reading the book kind of fills in that material. Hmm. Um, Of course, it's written by John Grisham. Audible has the complete unabridged version of the audiobook, as well as 150,000 other titles just like it. And the big selling point for me, because I'm not a huge audiobook fan, and for the reason that I like to read a book myself. See, I don't. I'd much rather listen to an audiobook. But here's the thing. Even if you're like me, Audible has you covered. Because if you also love to read, you probably transition to ebooks at some time. You're familiar with them. Mm-hmm. And if you have, and if, if you don't have a Kindle, if you have a cell phone, guess what? You have a Kindle because of the <laughs> Kindle app. And a uh, lot of the books here, including this one, are WhisperSync compatible, which means I can be at, in my own bed reading The Rainmaker Wherever I stop reading, I can get in my car, hook up my cell my cell phone with the Audible uh, uh, Audible app mm-hmm. uh, to my radio, and it'll pick up reading exactly where I left off. When I st- hit pause on it and go back to my bed at night, my Kindle asks me to if it wants me to sync to where I was in the auto, and it's just a way to like it's the best of both worlds, and yeah. it's something I'm completely addicted to at this point. Uh, I cannot recommend Audible service uh, highly enough. Uh, how can they get a free sample uh, with our partnership here, Jim? You can go to audiblepodcast.com slash better and get uh, a free audiobook download when you sign up. Yeah, anyone can Audible Podcast good. We're talking about Audible Podcast better. <laughs> We're working our way up to best. Maybe we in a couple episodes we'll yeah. get to the best. But right now, better it's better than good. It definitely is, no doubt. Let's move on to feedback. 
Yeah, first up, feedback. Uh, Maricat says, on the latest episode, podcast for Better Call Saul, you pondered what could have happened in the two years or so that induced Chuck's electromagnetic hypersensitivity. I was listening to the Insider podcast today, and they mentioned in a flashback that Chuck was visiting Jimmy in prison. He was wearing a wedding ring. In the present day, Chuck does not wear a wedding ring. Could his condition have been caused by divorce or the death of his spouse? Hmm. No other character has mentioned anything about a divorce or death of a loved one in relation to Chuck, but that could be because it upsets Chuck to talk about it. Imagine the way he reacted when he thought Jimmy was slipping back to his old habits, then multiply that by a hundred. Jimmy and Kim seem to talk about Chuck as little as possible and they're together with Kim working for Hamlin and that being a touchy subject. This could be why Chuck's marriage hasn't come up in conversations between them either. What do you guys think? It's not a bad idea. I mean, there's a little bit of a chicken and egg. Like, his electromagnetic hypersensitivity could have been brought on by his inability to come to grips with his wife's death. Mm -hmm. Or he could have gotten electromagnetic sensitivity through unrelated causes, and then his wife had enough of that after six months to a year and then left him. But... Either nah, way, yeah. that is a the the the, the wedding ring uh, having it and not having it is some kind of clue here. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, Dan from Manchester said, uh, "I'm making a probably incorrect prediction, but one I find interesting. We know from the first episode that Slip and Jimmy earned his namesake walking towards a particularly bad patches of ice and falling flat on his ass. We also know that depressed future Saul is holed up in Nebraska with plenty of ice patches." I predict that the very last scene of this season is Future Saul making the decision to walk over a patch of ice and start over as Slippin' Jimmy. <laughs> this would be a great bookend to the season, but I'm not saying that we then... Uh, wait. Uh, this would be a great bookend to the season, but I'm not saying that we then only be with Future Saul, but we can occasionally see him and how bringing back Slipping Jimmy causes his past to catch up with him. That's what I would worry about. I, I worried about him being 30 years older and trying to be slipping Jimmy. <laughs> that shit doesn't work as well when you're 40 something, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, breaking it. You know, you break a hip or something like that. I mean, he's not that old. No, no, no. He's in his forties for sure. And but yeah, you're right. You slipping, start, that starts taking a slipping toll. Jimmy as a 20 something is a lot different than as a 30 or even 40 something. Yeah. Uh, also that kind of, if you know, Filing lawsuits and running scams and getting in illegal murky areas is not how you want to behave if you're trying to lay low. Hmm. Now, one question I have, is Saul really afraid for his life at this point? In Nebraska? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't know probably everything that went down, but who would be looking for him? Lydia's dead. Yeah. Walt's dead. The Nazis are dead. The Nazis are dead. Gus is dead. Gus is dead. The cartel Mike's is dead. dead. Mike is dead. <laughs> All of Mike's dudes are dead. Spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen Breaking Bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, the yeah, meat-eating man's going to come for some back steak pay? What? Uh, his secretary? Yeah. His, his receptionist or whatever is going to sure. come looking for him? Uh, whoever the red-headed EPA, fake EPA guy? Uh, uh -huh. I, Bill Burr. I don't, I don't know his actual name in the show. I, yeah, I'm 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 curious about who he's actually hiding from up there. Uh I think he's hiding from people he fears would be after him but aren't. Right. Honestly, yeah. I think I don't think there's anybody to come after him. Huh. I wonder if the show will ever take the leap to where he realizes that and then we turn a new chapter and that would be interesting. I guess it's whatever the story they choose to tell because 
clearly they know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks for that, Dan. Moving on to Jimmy J. Said, hey, guys, I clearly remember seeing Chuck's light. Chuck light his camp stove with one of those electronic extension lighters in episode four. You know, like the aim and flames. There's two types. You got the big lighter that uses flint and steel to make spark. And then you got the static one where you push a button and it generates a static spark. And then that's what lights the flame. And he's saying that he, the one he did that in episode four was hmm. I'm going to let it go. But after the big deal made over his condition in episode five, I got to call Daryl Dixon bullshit. Do those have batteries in them? They don't have batteries, but they do generate an electric spark. Hmm. It's essentially a stat. It's essentially a way to generate a static spark. Now, there's a lot of open questions here. Number one, Chuck's condition is bullshit. Sure. So does he think that not having a battery means it's not electric? Does he not understand that there's actually a spark being generated there? Does that type of spark not affect his electromagnetic thing? Mm. Who the hell knows? But and also, I don't know that it's common knowledge. That that is actually so it could be the Villigan and the set designers are ignorant that that's actually generating electric spark, but yeah. you know uh, either way, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll back you up on a Dixon there. Uh, John M said on the finer point of hilarity in this scene, uh, I haven't heard mentioned on any of the behind the call Better Call Saul podcasts is how Jimmy, a lawyer, he's talking about the I cut out the uh, the subject line which is in regards to the toilet potty. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Would you the talking toilet? Uh-huh. Chandler's talking toilet is how Jimmy, a or lawyer, nonchalantly signs a non-disclosure agreement without looking at it. A lawyer signing a document, reading it, yikes. Yeah. Uh, when I was watching it, I thought about that, and I was like, hmm, he, he signed that pretty easily, but I felt like he... It caught my eye, too, because, God, I do not sign any of that shit without reading it closely. Yeah, I... I mean, I click I, through I EULAs and things like that, but signing things, like, it never hurts. It never hurts. Yeah, it doesn't hurt to read it. Sure. Uh, Isaac K. said, Tonight's Better Call... Better Call... Tonight's Better Call Saul episode is cool, but it got me thinking about something. Vince Gilligan has talked about possibly trying to integrate characters from Breaking Bad into Better Call Saul, but only if it happened, quote-unquote, organically, instead of just forcing it, which I'm absolutely on board with. But... After witnessing how this show and Breaking Bad has decidedly said fuck time and is willing to jump all over the place while telling its story, I think I figured out a way for us to see Walt again and tie up what I think is somewhat of a loose end. So we all know that Walt poisoned Brock, yes, but we never actually got to see how he did it. The Villagun was always so vague on the how, which was cool because the rest of the show was so fucking great that we take Walt doing that at face value and roll with it. But imagine the conversation between Walt and uh, Saul. The first question Saul immediately would ask was, why the fuck is Jesse walking around with a cigarette with ricin in it? Followed by, you want me to steal it off him? The fact that he goes through with it shows us what we already know, that his moral compass is nothing at that point. But again, in the context of Better Call Saul show, it drives the point home even further. Jimmy McGill is not Saul. Plus, again, we finally get to see just how Walt poisoned the kid, which is something I've always wanted to see, because why not? And also, who doesn't want to see Huel again? And he's suggesting that this would work as like a teaser, like like not a whole episode, but like one of the cold opens. All right. Would you get down with seeing some minutia of Breaking Bad fully illuminated such as this? That involves Brian Cranston? Gets Brian Cranston to come back and Huel, and it's like a five-minute opening to a random episode. I can't say no to that. How could I say no to that? I don't see how. So all right. we're, all, we're all in agreement. Yep. We're, we're uh, pitch the idea, Isaac K. Get in touch with Villigan. Let, him, let us know what he says. Um, 
You can find them any given Thursday at the Zinc Wine Bar. No, that's not true. <laughs> Edwin C. said, first, I want to point out that in last week's episode that the retirement home Jimmy visits is the same one Uncle Tio resides in, Breaking Bad. Though I remember he was mentioning it and thought it was interesting with Jimmy starting to specialize in elder law. Hmm. Better get why the getting's good at that place, man. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> first, I wanted you got about seven-year clock on that one. Then you've got a six-month renovation <laughs> that you've got to live through, so... Uh, actually, there's probably a lot of elder law concern over a bomb going off in a nursing home. Yes, that's probably a boom for that's, Jimmy's business. Sure, I mean, if if he's going to put on the what kind, what color ribbon would you wear for a nursing home explosion? Oh my god, uh, white. I don't know, <laughs> or just like instead of an American flag, it's like a little walker. Okay, yeah, not like imperial, but like old yeah. old lady, old man with a bomb strapped to it. Yeah, there you go, ding, <laughs> ding, and it dings. Uh, he also wanted to point out in last week's episode uh, wait wait wait, he already said that Um, moving on to his next point Edwin's as for the episode I freaking loved every minute of this and can only hope for a lot more Mike the man trout I was particularly intrigued by how he described the Philadelphia Police Department and looked upon the history and corruption within the department while records show corruption charges from as early as when the Philly Police Department was created it really hit its stride during the 80s and 90s I don't know that any of this is true um, but it certainly does not jar with my conception of the city of Philadelphia. Sure. Yeah. And, and the image that the city is somewhat proud of having. So I'm going to allow it. <laughs> uh, he continues. It seems during this time, the department was allowed to do basically anything they wanted. And that's exactly what they did. They committed basically every crime you can think of, including murder. And were usually slapped on the hand and transferred to a new precinct while the city would hand out large sums of money to victims of their brutality, or victims' relatives if the victim was killed. This is around the time Mike would have been a cop in Philly, so I can only imagine the things he's done, and if we'll have any more flashbacks of his affairs there. If it's not too ridiculous, I'd love a spinoff with a young Mike in his early days with the PPD. A, a, a spinoff spinoff. There young you Mike. How do you cast... Just call it Young Mike. How do you cast a mid-to-late 20s Jonathan Banks, man? Oh, my God. Um, you'd, have to get, you'd have to get the uh, Boardwalk Empire casting folks on it. Because if they can cast a young Steve Buscemi two times, uh-huh. then they can do anything. What's the name of the guy who plays the newest rendition of Spider-Man? Something Garfield. Uh, yeah, Garfield the Cat. Garfield plays him. I, I think he might be a good good Mike the Man Trap. Are you shitting me? No, I think he could do it. Yeah. Why? I don't know. Because <laughs> he, he looks vaguely like a younger Mike. The Garfield, curly-haired Garfield guy from Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> wow. I mean, I think uh, Tim Oliphant, like 15 years ago, could have been a, a good one. But he looks nothing like the man. Yeah, you're trailer. right. He's a lot handsomer, but you know, the ravages of time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, time is not lot, kind. It's not Mike. the years, man. It's the mileage. You're and right. Mike, you're Mike's right. got a lot of miles on the tires. Yep. Edwin continues with this show answering some questions about Breaking Bad. Do you think we'll ever get a true background story for Gus Fring? Oh, this is a topic near and dear to my heart. It's mentioned by Don Eladio that he knows who Gus is, and that's why he didn't kill him, and that Mexico isn't shilly. Mike also makes mention to Gus' past while talk, talking to him, saying that if he couldn't find anything in his past, that the DEA won't either, implying that Mike knows of Gus's past. It's also mentioned in this uh, that the reason for this is because of the Pinochet regime that took over Chile, 
being very poor at keeping records. It's suspect that August had something to do with the president at the time, Augusto Pinochet, who himself is guilty of many crimes, but I couldn't find any evidence that would help with this theory other than this guy had accounts in every bank of the world and is pretty good at moving funds to hide where they came from. So we did a fairly deep dive of that back in season four of Breaking Bad, Mm -hmm. and it's something that we were kind of on pins and needles for, and then it just kind of went away. Never did anything with it, yeah. Uh, I think it's necessary in the backstory of Gus, if you're going to try and tell that, yeah, you've got to go into it. How does Mike meet him? How does Gus get to where he is? Certainly. Those things need to be brought up. And it's becoming clear to me that they're going to go there. And I'm not saying they have to do it in this season. It probably won't happen this season. But season two, assuming that Giancarlo Esposito starts playing more of a role, yeah, I think they have to go back mm-hmm. and explore more of this. Like I would love it. Yeah, and 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 that puts it puts the danger of this show being more about the rise of the chicken man and the rise of the man trout. Mm. But I don't give a shit. I'm f- perfectly fine if every year there's an episode that steals the show away from Jimmy. Sure. So anyway, moving on, Pablo L said, just when I thought I was on board, full steam ahead, hook, line and sinker, and better call Saul. I can't help but wish the Gould and the Gilligan based the spinoff on the one and only Mike, the man trout. Everyone's saying er man trout, but I find it very hard to say that. Yeah. I like saying the man trout. The man trout. Sure, it would have been a dark, gritty a show filled with close-ups of the oldest-looking hands west of Florida and the droopy size and all, <laughs> <laughs> and all of New Mexico. Even but, droopier than droopy himself, which uh, is rough. But, God, yeah, man, uh, his old man skin. Yeah. When there was a close-ups of him like trying to stitch that together, I was just like, oh, God, this is just going to tear. There's that, it's like trying to stitch together parchment paper, man. Uh but goddamn, it would have been a completely enthralled and emotionally pleaded in the best way possible. Jonathan Banks puts out an outstanding performance. Sure, Odenkirk has put in some work in the drama department in Better Call Saul, but all his best performance combined would not have been able to touch Mr. Banks. I now hope this show continues, including Mike, not as a supporting role, but as an equal creative piece alongside Odenkirk. Where does the comedy in a Mike-centric show come from? I think Mike's funny as hell. You think Mike is funny? Yeah. What was funny about Mike in this episode? His reaction to Saul. Just the way he refuses to talk. I, yeah, so I guess he's funny in the same way like Ron Swanson is funny. He he probably is not funny unless he has some goofballs to to uh you know uh play off of. Yeah. He's he's the straight man in every situation and it's he he needs to have funny people around him. I don't know that he has that without Saul. But do you need like there could be a gritty spinoff that's just not funny? That's like saying like where is why why is Gotham funny or why is the Americans that. funny? Well, it doesn't have to be. Sure, it doesn't have to be. But that was kind of one of the hallmarks of Breaking Bad. Is it was also funny. Yeah, like I don't see Villigan writing a series that isn't funny. That doesn't have some humor. No, yeah. no, no, no. I think you're right. He's even too even much the X Files. He's too much of a pop culture whore. He would not yeah. be able to not pay homage to some classic comedy thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just not sure. I would want to see all Mike all the time. Yeah, but we were like that with Saul, and yeah, we're not getting that. So hmm. I'm okay with that. All right, moving on. Joe V said award. Well, I mean, the other thing is like Young Mike is essentially just a cop show. It's yeah. it's the it's it's a dirty cop show. It's the Shield. It's the Wire. It's like mm-hmm. all those that's probably been done a lot better. Uh, and also, you're not going to get Jonathan Banks. 
Unless True. they give oh, as God. much shits about Jonathan Banks looking age as they do Kaylee, and he's just a seventy year old looking twenty four year old dude. Uh huh. I like it. Uh, they, 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 that's where the com- and that's where the comedy comes from. Quantum leap. Everybody's Perfect. saying like, "Aren't you a little old to be a cop?" And Jonathan Banks does dead eye on him. We we have we have a quantum leap situation where Jonathan Banks yes. travels back in time to instruct him his younger self. To do some shit. I don't know. There you go. There you go. Terrible premise. Joe V. (laughs) Emmy Award for Jonathan Banks. Hell, give him an Oscar, too, because his 40-minute performance was better than anything I saw in any movie lately. I don't think that's how the Oscars work, but... Mm. Nope. uh, Final line is the basis for this whole story and why Mike is linked to Jimmy slash Saul. They know the dirt, and it's really about how much they can live with. We know they can live with a lot of dirty, so bring on the Kettleman's. Agreed. And I like, again, like I said, I like the... You get the sleaze... And the seed, all from the two guys. Mm-hmm. Alex C. from NYC said, love the story. I think it's taken on a, as a whole. It was the perfect explanation for how Mike became who he is. On the other hand, I think it was written more like a play with long-winded, stilted monologues with near-unspeakable lines. Jonathan Banks pulled it off for the most part, but the actress playing his daughter-in-law, well, let's just say some lines felt like they were rehearsing the scene. <laughs> also, the cinematography broke the cardinal 180-degree rule on several occasions, which was very jarring. Uh, let's t- take this as it goes. Um, I will confess, I thought that we that that at the at the more extreme parts of his performance, Jonathan Banks was a bit shaky for me. There was one moment that, where I thought that there's one right like where it a felt single like, voice crack that didn't line up. For yeah, him. that like he it felt like he was going to go into a full blown sob. I was like, oh, I don't know about this, and then he recovered. Uh huh. Everything else is excellent, so yes. not enough for me to. But since we're talking about it, mm-hmm. um, and I did think the dialogue was a little shaky too, but it's a it's an instance where the kind of the performance and the direction and the emotion that they had set us up with kind of saved and carried the day. Yeah, so AV Club has an interesting take on this. Um, mm. It's Donna. Donna something was was writing the review on this one, and she said this is basically the cliched noir cop drama that you wouldn't bat an eye at if it weren't for this being Mike. Huh. And I kind of agree with that. That's not, I've seen this story play out so many times in this exact way. If it weren't Mike and we weren't learning, we weren't already invested in this character. I don't know that it's that interesting. No, I mean, it's a, it's a 45 minute version of the departed, right? Kind of. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I, that's, that's such a bull. I mean, yes, that's true, but there's only like seven basic stories to tell in all of drama. So mm-hmm. if you want to boil it down to stuff being archetypes, it's all about how well things are done and what that makes us feel and what we're talking about the next day. So like, yes, I get the point. And like I said, I, I agree with Alex and, and I kind of shared the same point with that one tiny note. But I don't want to dismiss a whole plot just because it's been done before. Like you can't just sure. Simpsons did it to everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she she was she gets into more specifics like oh how especially how they speak in this episode and like t- top to bottom there are a lot of cliches. Sure. Uh, I I don't disagree you with that. But whole, I, he was a week from retiring when his dad, exactly his it's son like, died. But, yeah, pretty much. But shit, you, unless you read his fucking uh, notepad, you wouldn't even know that. Yeah. So I. I don't know. I, I understand what she's saying, and I agree 
with her analysis, but I don't think that necessarily made it bad All right. or, or took away my enjoyment. As far it. as 180 degree rule, like I'm aware of that. I, I did not notice it being broken. Um, so it didn't jar me. Yeah. Uh, but then again, I'm not exactly, I, it has to be pretty severe breaking <laughs> the laws of cinematography before I start noticing. Mm-hmm. Uh, this story itself wasn't particularly novel. We've seen the same thing in various mob movies, as you said, the shield, the place beyond the pines, but I'm fine with that. I do wish it was established earlier in the episode that Mike's son held him up on a pedestal. It would have come as more of a gut punch at the end there to learn that Mike was also dirty. That's still, hmm. that's a fair point, that's, too. Yeah, I like that. I don't know how. I mean, obviously, this would have been much more meaningful if we had seen Mike and his son interact for several episodes. And, yeah. you know, this this is like a whole season-long arc in The Wire then it turns in, into. But sure. what are you going to do? Give it another episode to breathe? I don't know. Uh, he concludes, still awesome, and now who thinks Mike must have had a hand in training Huel in the art of startle a guy and pickpocket him? Ha! Could be. Could be. Huel's technique's got to be impeccable. Because, as Saul said, those sausage fingers, <laughs> yeah. the, the yeah. fact that you're able to lift... I mean, he's working with subpar tools, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like a, watching a guy carve a block of ice with a chainsaw. It's just like... Yeah, it's not even I'm not even impressed at how good it is. I'm just depressed. <laughs> you're using a chainsaw. Um, Doug L., our resident lawyer, has a couple of legal notes. Uh, he had a bunch uh, because if we had a lot of feedback this week. I didn't have time to read them all. But the one that I thought was interesting was one about jurisdiction. And I actually wondered that in the back of my mind. Said the Philly police have no jurisdiction in New Mexico, but it's an old trope to see criminals making a getaway for the state line, hoping the cops will simply come to a screeching halt at the border. I'm pretty sure every episode of Chips ever yes. relied on that. And at the county level, every episode of Duke's a Hazard. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says this is not remotely true. First, as seen in the episode, an ABQ police officer was present to ensure proper jurisdiction and procedure. More importantly, all states have reciprocal agreements with each other so that law enforcement isn't pre- prevented from apprehending a suspect by a line arbitrarily drawn over 100 years ago. In fact, it's quite common for police to reach across state lines to contact witnesses. When investigating a case, you would also expect police to contact pertinent witnesses, and virtually everyone has friends or relatives residing far away who may possess relevant information on the case. The Philly police, however, could likely not arrest Mike themselves because they do lack jurisdiction. That said, they'd be able to detain him, i.e. physically restrain him in the back of the car in cuffs until the ABQ police handled the actual arrest so he could be shipped back to Pennsylvania. Detention and arrest are different. Detention simply means police are confining you physically so they can prevent your escape while they question you. Or eventually take further action. They only need reasonable suspicion you committed a crime to do this. Arresting occurs when there is probable cause that you committed a crime, which is a higher evidentiary standard. All right. So there you go. Good to know. Next time I run from the cops. In fact, the whole world's like that nowadays. Like, you have to look pretty high and far to find countries that are not extradition, extradition treaty friendly with the United States. Yeah. Got to go to, like, Russia. You end up in the Russians and the Switzerlands <laughs> and the North Koreas, I, I presume, yeah. of the world. Omar says, one point I'd like to make is an obvious trope. The show is basically everyone's a little corrupted, and that's what got Matt killed. Do you think this might be foreshadowing that a Jimmy Saul will die because of his corruption in Omaha? He then says he has an epiphany mid-email. Oh, my God, this also explains why Mike left Kaylee in the park. He said you threaten a cop with that. Uh, with jail time, and he gets dangerous. Mike left Kaylee because he was afraid of prison. Hmm, okay. That, that makes a lot a of sense. a solid point. Yeah. Because that's something we've always pondered. Uh-huh. But that's Mike's worst, li- worse than death fear. Yeah. Then that neatly explains it. I agree. All right. Moving. <laughs> thought that would, I thought that would gender more discussion, but we just both agree. 
solid point. <laughs> we kind of want we kind of want more from Mike, but there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, James from Virginia said, after Monday's episode, I'd like to know if you think they should divide Better Call Saul between characters of Saul and Mike, a la Grey's Anatomy. And I'm glad he explained it because I've never seen Grey's Anatomy. Neither have I. He says, bear with me on the Grey's Anatomy analogy, but I think it works. Grey's Anatomy started out focused on Meredith Grey. Clever. And now it's focused on Meredith and Anatomy. presumably hers, Anatomy. Uh, <laughs> oh, she got married and she's Meredith yes. Knee Grey, now Anatomy. Mm-hmm. Sure. But as the seasons progressed, the strength of the other characters made it into this. This reminds me of this. Sh- it's the- ER, where they said, you know what, George Clooney's so good. But this reminds me of the time that we thought that we were going to do like uh, a troll cast, where we'd pick a popular show that we gave two shits about. Like, so, like, ev- uh, Once Upon a Time. <laughs> and we'd do, do a full podcast on it, but we'd only use the previews and the what's coming on next. Uh-huh. So that 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 we'd get like the basics right, but we would miss things and we'd invent things and make and we'd release this just to piss off once upon a time mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. people. It'd be an elaborate troll. It'd be yeah. an elaborate troll, but we're also very lazy, so we never actually committed to doing that. And we're also very busy. That too. Yeah. But this was back in the the more lazy days. These this was oh, pre yeah, yeah, yeah. pre full time bald move. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Uh, they eventually, uh, the, the show was found on the strength of one character, but eventually the other characters made it into an ensemble show, and rather just being a character study of Meredith Grey, I thought this was wise because they've lost huge chunks of viewerships if they'd stayed focused on Grey. She was interesting but not fascinating. Long way of asking, do you think Better Call Saul will be hurt in the long run if they don't take focus off Saul and expand it into more Mike or, we hope, Gus territory? Saul's interesting, but I'm just not sure he's fascinating. Uh... I I agree with most of that. I I do think there's a way to do all of them, right? Like I I would be okay with a series where we're following all of these guys. Sure, and and it doesn't even have to be split off in episode chunks. Like Mike gets this episode and Gus gets this one. No, I I can see that wearing thin after a while. I yeah, mean, it certainly does with The Walking Dead, where you've got like. A very special episode, and we're going to go away from the main group for a couple episodes. But that's the thing. We know these guys are tied in together. Yeah. Um, it's not so much Saul with Gus, but Mike with Gus and Mike with Saul. Mm-hmm. So this honestly could turn more like Mike-focused as him being the hub of these other characters. Sure. I, I could definitely see that, but it needs to be a mix. I don't think you can do just like, we did Jimmy, now we're going to do Mike. I was impressed that they got away with what five minutes of Saul? Yeah, without yeah, it, it was... even without even noticing his absence. Yeah, I noticed it. The tone was totally different. Well, I did too, but I'm not. I mean, it wasn't like uh, in the middle of his murder revenge arc. I was like, "Gosh, where's Saul?" You know, oh, when are we yeah, going to yeah. see Jimmy again? I was completely you... absorbed. And then when the credits came up, it's like, "Oh wow, we only got like five minutes of Jimmy in that." Yeah. Anyway, that's the email we got this week. Uh, if you'd like to send us more, you can do so at Better Cast Saul. I've noticed some people, when I'm going through my inbox without the filters, are still sending things to Better Call Saul, mm-hmm. which maybe we got too clever, but I a lot of times miss those because I just do the pass with my filters. So uh, make sure you send it to Better Cast Saul at baldmove.com. You can also get on our forums at forums.baldmove.com. Join the discussion there, also on facebook.com slash baldmove, and tweet at Jim. If you got a bon mot that you'd like to share. Great. Uh, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back next Wednesday with uh, another episode. Until yes, then, will. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye-bye. <laughs>